Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back again to the program and thank you for so faithfully joining in every week at the same time. If you're just finding us and uh, you are enjoying what you're hearing, uh, let me just say very quickly uh, that we are in the middle of a series right now uh, titled The I Am's of Jesus. And in this one we are talking about in this segment, I am the light of the world. And we already did one uh, prior to this, we did four programs on uh, I am the bread of life. This one is titled, I am the light of the world. And we've already done two segments on that. But if you would, if you join this, you think, well, I sure wished I wouldn't have missed those prior programs. Got some good news for you. It is available on our YouTube channel. It is archived there. Every program we have aired to date, there's probably over 400 and some, almost 500 programs that are there. And they are listed in playlists now. In the, in the, in the most recent stuff we're done, we're trying to give a title to it, and this playlist will be titled, I Am the Light of the World, and uh, the whole playlist will be titled, The Seven I Am's of Jesus. But you can go back and watch them at your leisure. Also, we have an audio portion of these uh, programs so that you can redeem the time when you're in your automobile or you're working out on a treadmill or you're taking a walk, you can put it on your pod, uh, iPod or your iPhone or even your Android device. On our website, there are two icons. One is of a Android device. It looks like a little robot. If you tap on that, it will take you to the RSS feed, which is the audio portion for your Android device. There's a little insignia for the iTunes podcast that is on our website. You just tap on that and you will find our podcast. And then there's the insignia for the YouTube channel. All of them are free of charge. You can actually subscribe for those channels and they are free of charge and you can listen to them at your leisure and catch up to where we're at. We're going to come back today and talk about in this third segment again, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Now what we shared with you in prior programs is that when Jesus says, I am, He's saying that in contrast to saying, this is what you thought it was. But that's not it. I am the light. In other words, when he first does the one about the bread of life, he says to them, he takes them out into the wilderness, literally, and literally feeds the 5,000 with bread and fish. And while he has them in that wilderness, much like the wilderness journey of the Old Testament, he looks at them and he said, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they're dead. But I am the bread of life. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. In other words, you thought that was the bread, but I'm the real bread. As we come into this one, and I am the light of the world, they thought Moses and his law and condemnation was the light, but we showed you John 5:45 that Jesus said, do not think I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuses you, even Moses, whom you serve. And what we showed you is that the Mosaic Covenant, you know, even as uh, 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 we think about uh, John 11, he said the, uh, that the life is the light. What he's talking about here, even as he's talking about the life, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. See, what the law did not do, 
is it did not give you life. For if there was a commandment that could have given life, then verily righteousness would have been by the law. But the light of life is only found in the face of Jesus Christ. He is the life and the light of life. But what you see the contrast here is, he's, thinking to the, he's saying to them, you thought Moses was the light, for you searched the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. So you thought you were going to get life by searching out the old covenant paradigms, but they pictured and pointed to a greater thing, and that was him who was the light and the life of the world. And so what we showed you is two pictures from John 8, where they bring a woman caught in adultery to Jesus, first of all, and they came to accuse Jesus, and they said, Moses in his law said she should be stoned. What do you say? This they said, tempting him. And of course, you know, I, I go back. you have to go back and, and listen to that, because I don't want to review too much here today in this program. But uh, the, uh, Jesus stoops down with his finger, begins to write in the sand, and as though he heard them not, and he responds to their accusations and their condemnation by saying, he that is without sin cast the first stone, and as they begin to drop the rocks and leave, Jesus turns around and says to the woman, woman, where are those thine accusers? She said, I don't have any, Lord. He said, then, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. And it's right in that very same verse that Jesus says, when he says, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more, that he says, I am the light of the world. He says that in the context of saying, you're not under condemnation. There is one that accuses you, even Moses. And we showed you in the last segment how that condemnation and guilt are stuff that flows from an old covenant. And so many times people think that's the light. But when Jesus says, I am the light, he was pointing you away from that, saying, that's not the light, I'm the light. And he that comes to me is in no wise going to be cast out. But if therefore, if there be any man be in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. Now that doesn't mean there's not God dealing with areas of our life. It simply means condemnation means a sentence or a verdict passed because you've been indicted on something and accused. If you're not under law, if you don't have any law, it is impossible to pass a death sentence or a condemnation on somebody. And even that word condemnation could be used in a lot of different places or a lot of different ways, I think, in terms of you know, we had a flood in West Virginia some time ago, and they would take paint and write on the homes of those that were under, uh, you know, water and had gotten full of mold and mildew and everything. They would say, condemned, uninhabitable. That house was not inhabitable. But I've got some good news for somebody today that's listening to me. You are not uninhabitable. You have not been condemned. As a matter of fact, if you'll invite Jesus into your life, he will come in and take up his abode and indwell you and dwell inside of you and bring within him this light of life where this quality of life you have will begin to flow. Then he comes into the ninth chapter of John where he repeats this again and says, while I am in the world, there is a light. 
And he talks about being the light of the world. And it's another story of condemnation because in John 9, they bring to him a man who was born blind. And these religious Pharisees, again, because of their condemnation mentality, began, and their old covenant mentality, and their old covenant paradigm, began to look at, at this guy and say, who sinned, this man or his parents? Well, when you're under law, you're always on a sin hunt. I mean, I can remember growing up in the days of, uh, you know, when I was under that kind of thinking, that, I mean, we were always looking for, I mean, it's like button, button, who's got the button? We were always on a sin hunt and looking for what's something wrong with somebody. And even when we get in the Word, we get in the Word to find out something we could preach against. And we was always against something until I began to hear the Lord say to me a number of years ago, study to show yourself approved unto God a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I started thinking, that don't just mean get an education, learn Greek and Hebrew. That means when you get in the word, stop looking for what's wrong with you and study to show yourself approved. Not rejected, approved. Accepted in the beloved. And that you are accepted in the presence of God. And see, that's the only place that you can find real change is when you find yourself not running from God, but running to Him, even in the time of your trouble. We, we're, we're taught the best thing you do is get out of here. God's out to kill you. He's out to condemn you. Let's throw some rocks. Let's kill somebody. That's condemnation and guilt. But when you see that He does want to deal with sin, but He wants to deal with it by bringing you up into the lap of Abba and saying, listen, I'm going to embrace you. I'm going to work with you. I'm going to stoop down, and I'm going to take my finger and write in the sand of your human existence, and I'm going to empower you. Not, I'm going to open the eyes of the blind man. John 9, again, he finds a man born blind. He said, who, who sinned? Who, who sinned? There's got to be somebody to blame here. And Jesus said, neither has this man sinned or his parents, but that I might work the works of God. And the Bible said they brought him to Jesus, and Jesus took that clay. He reached down and grabbed the clay, and then he put spittle in the clay. And I can't go back and just reiterate all of this. But when he spit in the clay, to me, again, it speaks of him taking the sand of the raw material that Adam was made from, the human, the dust, the realm of earth, the clay, and the spittle that came from the divine mouth of God. And he brings together the human and the divine, the DNA of God. You know, when you were born again, I got some good news for you. When you were born again, you were regenerated. And I stress gene here because you've got a new DNA. You got regenerated. You got born from above. You got a new nature. You got a new name. And you got a whole new name or nature. And I believe you could sing the song. Once I was blind, but now I see because I saw the light. And I'm telling you, the light that he's shining was the light of no condemnation because once again, the whole context of this story is a man born blind. And then when Jesus puts the spittle and this clay in this man's eye, he tells him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which being interpreted means sent. And I told you in the last segment how that the word sent there is the Greek word apostello. It is the English word we translate, or it's the Greek word that we translate apostle in other places. And what he's saying is, I'm going to take you that were born blind and point you to an apostolic pool where they're not going to preach condemnation and guilt, but they're going to preach the recovery of sight to the blind. See, that's what Jesus came on. Well, his first public message, 
He said, go get me the book of Isaiah. And he found the place where he said, the Spirit of God, or the, he said, uh, uh, he said the, the, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and the recovering of sight to the blind. And he closed the scripture and he said, and to declare, first of all, the year of the favor or the grace of God. And he closed the book. He said, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. Jesus came to recover the sight to the blind. Because what we've been made to do is focus on our sin and our iniquity and our problem rather than to shift and to focus on the Redeemer who has come to recover our sight to the blind. And I submit to you that I believe what God is saying to somebody listening here is you've sat under sin consciousness preaching and you've been in a church that's beat you down and stole your identity and constantly brought you into condemnation and guilt until you're just about wore out. Let me tell you something. When this Jesus healed this blind man, they were not only going to put him out of the synagogue, they were going to put his parents out of the synagogue because the, the scribes and Pharisees had said, listen, anybody that says that this man is the Christ is going to be put out of the synagogue. And well, they might put you out, but I can tell you this, I believe that God wants to open a door and send you to the pool of Siloam. You say, what are you saying? I'm saying He's going to send you to an apostolic pool. You're going to find a different kind of ministry that's not flowing from guilt and condemnation and from an old covenant paradigm, and you're going to find yourself being washed until this recovery of sight begins to come to the blind. Now let me just jump in here and show you something else because that's what he's dealing with here again as a move from an old covenant to a new covenant. But what I want you to see is he's not only talking about the recovery of sight here to uh, you know this blind man, but to all men. And as I started looking at this again, I started seeing this in Isaiah 9, and I'm just going to begin reading. It says, nevertheless, this is Isaiah 9 verse 1, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations, that the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light, and they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them hath a light shined. Now what I want you to see is that this is Isaiah chapter 9. But in Matthew chapter 4, there's a direct quote that links, he pulls this from Matthew chapter 4 verse 12, pulls this verse of scripture from Isaiah chapter 9 and brings it into the time of Jesus, where Jesus is talking about He is the light of the world. And so uh, this is, this is uh, he, he had Jesus, this verse is being fulfilled literally in Jesus. When he left Nazareth and came to Capernaum, he, uh, please note that, Comer, Com, that Capernaum was a bunch of Gentiles. But part of the light of what he was doing was it was the inclusion of the Gentiles. Here's another step to the light that he was about to bring. Now let's look at this in Matthew chapter 4 verse 12. It said, Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast, in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali, Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which is spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, 
the land of Zebulun, and remember this verse I just read a minute ago, the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephilim, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw a great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. And from that time Jesus began to preach and say, repent, change your mind. That's what repent means, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now I'm telling you, well, there's so much to unpack here. But when he began to preach this, he's literally drawing from the book of Isaiah, and he's saying that Isaiah prophesied of a day when the people that sat in darkness were going to see a great light. And here's Jesus down in Naphtali, and he's down in the land of Zebulun, exactly what Isaiah prophesied about. And he's beginning to preach that, 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 that and it says, in, in the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, that the people which sat in darkness saw a great light. I'm telling you, something was really about to break on the scene where Jesus would say, I'm not just the light to the twelve tribes of Israel, I'm the light of the world. Man, this is good to me. I'm not just going to be after one ethnic group of people, but I'm going to include the Gentiles. And the mystery that had been hid from ages was about to unfold Christ in you, the hope of glory. But that mystery was Christ in and among all of you Gentiles. Let me just say this as well, because I think it will help somebody. As a matter of fact, a lot of the scriptures that we use to talk about predestination, and uh, we, you know, uh, predestination scriptures are mostly either, I think, in Ephesians and Colossians, and both times where he talks about predestination, we try to make that about, well, he predestined this one to go to heaven, he predestined that one to go to hell. But if you read the context of it, what was predestined was that he had predetermined before the ages began to include the Gentiles. So what was predestined and predetermined is to gather together in one all things, both Jew and Gentile, even into him. And this began to be a greater expansion of the light because now he's not just the light to the twelve tribes, he's the light to the world. Hallelujah. Now let me read this to you also from Isaiah, because Isaiah throws this in. This is Isaiah chapter 42. It said, Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Note that. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax he shall not quench. He shall send forth or bring forth judgment unto truth. See, that's a quote that's used also in the New Testament. He'll bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth, and the isles shall wait for his law. Thus saith God the Lord that created the heaven and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth, and that which cometh out of it, he that giveth uh, breath unto the people upon it, and spirit to them that walk therein. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, and will hold thine hand, and will keep thee. And I will give thee for a covenant to the people, for a light of the Gentiles, to open the, uh, to open the blind eyes, and to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sat in darkness out of the prison house. Now see, once again, here's the contrast. I'm the light. 
you thought the law was the light, but I'm about to bring forth this one. In other words, he says, I'm going to make him the one who would be a light that would shine in darkness. The one who would stand in the middle of Nephtalim and Zebulun and say, the people that sat in darkness have seen a great light. Here he would prophesy that he would bring forth judgment to the Gentiles, that he would release a light among the Gentiles. And then in verse number 6, he says, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and, and will hold thine hand and will keep thee, talking about messianic prophecy, talking about Jesus, the one who would come to Nephtalim and Zebulun as the light. And he would say, I will give you, I will give thee for a covenant to the people for a light unto the Gentiles. Now that's powerful to me because the new covenant is between the Father and the Son. And you and I are included in the new covenant by virtue of our relationship with Jesus Christ that included both Jew and Gentile, that part of the mystery of His will was that He would gather together and tear down the middle wall of partition and that He would make out of twain Jew and Gentile one new man even in Him. In other words, He would bring both Jew and Gentile into Christ because He said, I will give thee as a covenant to the people Hallelujah. And I'm going to give you as a covenant. The new covenant was between the Father and the Son, and we are in covenant with Him because we are in Him. He goes on to say in Isaiah 42, finishing those verses, He says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare before. They shall spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing unto the Lord a new song, and His praise from the end of the earth, ye that go down to the sea, and all that therein, that is therein, the isles and the inhabitants thereof. Hallelujah. Now those are powerful thoughts, because He's saying to them, I'm going to give Him as a covenant. To the people. It's going to include both Jew and Gentile. It's going to show up in Zebulun and Naphtali, and I'm going, the people that sat in darkness are going to see a great light. And then as he comes down to the end of this prophecy in Isaiah 42, he said, Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare before they shall spring forth. Now let me tell you the new thing. We, we, we grab these scriptures and we pull them completely out of context. I might just do a whole segment on this, maybe I'll maybe unpack this a little bit more in the next one. But this whole thing when he says, behold, I do a new thing, we grab that and we go, oh, God's about to do a new thing. And we think whatever new revival comes down the pike, well, that's the new thing God is doing. And most of the time, it's not a new thing, it's an old thing in a new package. But the one thing that God was calling new that He was about to do in this new covenant, he was about to bring a brand new covenant. And he goes on to say uh, that, that he was going to bring forth this new thing, and then he said, Sing unto the Lord a new song, and his praise from the end of the earth, you that go down to the sea, and all that therein, the isles and the inhabitants thereof. Sing unto the Lord a new song, and his praise. See, I'm telling you, the new song is the new song of the new covenant. That's the contrast here. We're not under Old Covenant condemnation. We're under New Covenant grace and empowerment. That's not the light. 
This is the light. I'm telling you, it's time to shift, ladies and gentlemen, from an old covenant paradigm to a new covenant paradigm. Interestingly enough, I think about Revelation, the book of Revelation, where it says, "Sing," un, uh, or they sang, as it were, a new song, saying, Thou art worthy, because Thou hast taken to Thyself great power, and Thou hast reigned. And they sang a, a, a new song. I'm telling you, they were singing the song of the Lamb, and they were singing the song of God. Hallelujah. The song of the Lamb is the song of redemption. It's a song that I believe ought to be on the lips of every New Covenant believer. I love what he says uh, in the book of Isaiah in the same context where he's dealing with uh, singing a new song. He said, Oh, sing, O barren, and you that did not bring forth children, for many are the children of, of she who was seemingly barren than she that has the married wife. And he says, if you're, if you're barren, you need to sing a new song. Let me tell you something, preacher. Let me tell you something, apostle. If you start preaching the new covenant, and you start singing a new song, it'll start to break the stranglehold that's kept your numbers low. You'll start to bring forth, and you'll start to bear fruit. Sing to the Lord a new song. If you've got barrenness in your life, you need to declare some new covenant truth over you. If you're not seeing fruit in your own life, not just preachers, but people, start singing a new song. Sing His praise. Begin to sing the new song of a new day. And as you do, I'm telling you, I believe the barrenness and the, the, and the stranglehold that's been in our lives and our finances and our fruitfulness and bringing forth what I believe God has called us to bring forth in this hour are going to begin to find fruit, begin to flow into those areas of our lives. I think that's just so powerful that we can sing unto the Lord a new song. All of these scriptures, there's, there's just several. Let me just, I got just a few more minutes and I'll just read a few things here. Uh, Colossians 1 verse 12 says, Giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Remember what Jesus said when He came into the land of Naphtali and the darkness was there? He said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is the government of heaven that replaced the law of Moses. So when you repent, it's not just what you turn from, it's what you turn toward. A lot of people have turned from law, and then they turn toward sin, or substance abuse, or some other bondage. But when our hearts turn toward the Lord, the veil is taken away. That's the turning, that's the repentance, and that's the kingdom of God, the government of heaven in your life. Well, we're about to run out of time again in this segment, but thank you so much for joining us. Let me just say quickly, if you're enjoying what we're sharing and you're following our ministry, consider becoming a partner with us today. We really do need your help to be able to take, as you can tell, we don't spend a lot of time trying to raise money, but we do need your help. And the people will watch a long time before they contact us. But please, if you can, show a seat into the ministry that call that number on the screen. Someone will take your credit or debit card, or the easiest way to do it without even waiting for the phone is to go to the website, go to uh, where you can give, and you can even set up a monthly debit if you'd like, or give a one-time gift, or you can send a check or money order to the address that will come on the screen. Thank you for helping us take the gospel around the world. The word repentance means to change your mind. The message of John the Baptist and of Jesus was to repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
The kingdom of God is accessed by a change in our thinking. If you are in outer darkness, there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That reality is not always out in the distant future. It is in people's lives right now. One simple mind shift can move you out of darkness and weeping and into light and rejoicing. God wants to wipe all tears from our eyes and replace our weeping with joy.